Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. everyone. Welcome to my talk on community and the value and impact it can have on your game. Community management is one of the most commonly misunderstood disciplines in the industry. Sometimes this comes from not knowing what tasks are community owned, and other times it's because people wildly underestimate what's involved in those particular tasks. When you look at what a community manager does, you often only see player-facing communication and the occasional social post. A large majority of our success is measured in qualitative uh, qualitative value. What I hope you walk away from is an understanding, uh, walk away with is an understanding of what we do behind the scenes and how nurturing and caring for your community can have a massive impact on the success of your current and future titles. To give you an overview of what we're going to be going over today, first, I'll be going over who I am, which I feel is pretty self-explanatory. Um, what is community, where I, in fact, won't be talking about the students at Greendale, but instead giving a brief idea into what community is. What is a community manager? Here, I'll be going over exactly what a community manager is, which, believe it or not, is more than just managing communities. Typical role responsibilities, a breakdown of what the community management discipline entails. Non-typical role responsibilities, an overview of some extra tasks we've been known to take on. And lastly, the three main components that I believe make up the community management trifecta. So starting off with who I am, hello everyone. I'm Sam, I've been working in the game industry since 2015, where I started my career in QA at Digital Extremes. I am also the co-founder of a Discord community called SMCMG or Social Media and Community Managers in Gaming. Here, community managers, social media managers, and uh, marketing folks share their resources, discuss processes, processes and tips to improve them, and of course, because it's in our blood, share memes. I'm a variety gamer, so I'll try any game at least once. Uh, my favorite extreme sport is quickly making and sharing memes before the topic of conversation moves on. And lastly, I love a great color-coded spreadsheet. Um, let's be real, who doesn't? So working in QA at Digital Extremes, I had my hand in testing quite a few Warframe updates before they went out to the community and spent a large chunk of the rest of my time working on external projects as publisher QA. When I shifted my career from QA to community, I worked on a Facebook game at Big Viking Games called Yo World and uh, made my way over to Hellbent during the beta stages of Video Horror Society where I contributed to the early access launch of the title. I'm currently working with the absolutely amazing and wonderful talented folks at Rio Games on an upcoming JRPG called Threads of Time. So what is community? Think of your absolute most favorite video game of all time. 
you play through the campaign, you're crying, screaming, throwing up because you're just so overwhelmed with the feelings that you just can't describe. You have all these theories about what the sequel might hold or maybe you shift two characters that didn't end up together. You turn to your partner or your best friend and you start info dumping all of these theories and ships and they have no idea what you're rambling on about. <laughs> with no one in your immediate space to talk to about all this, you visit the website and find that they have buttons for all their social platforms, including Discord. So you click that link, join the server, read through the rules, assign yourself a role or two, and then enter into a community of thousands of people who also have theories about the sequel. And another section of these members who have made fan art for that particular ship you've been thinking about. Communities are places where people come together to discuss a common passion, whether it be a game, a movie franchise, a TV show, or frankly, anything that you can think of. Communities, while seemingly organic from the outside, require a lot of upkeep. But who, you say, handles this upkeep? That's community managers. <laughs> so what is a community manager? Co-running the SMCMG server has taught me just how different this definition can be for many people within the industry. Most of the time, community management ends up being a catch-all for any task related to marketing. When you look at the many responsibilities found in a community manager job description, they generally cover tasks that have their own full-time disciplines, so social media managers, PR, marketing, player support. On the other hand, the community management discipline isn't viewed as anything more than being on social media all day, which I can promise you is a conversation that I have with my family every time I try to explain to them what I do for a living. Working in game dev, it's so important to not underestimate the power a community manager has to build a community, the impact they have on your game, and the work involved to accomplish this. So what do community managers do? The digital marketing trifecta is a diagram that, when all three compo components are combined, has the opportunity to amplify your game and studio's voice online, all while maintaining the trust and attention of your current and future player base. The paid portion is pretty self-explanatory and something that I'm sure we've all seen in the wild. When you see a sponsored TikTok or a boosted Facebook post, that brand or studio allocated part of their marketing budget to put their ad on that space in order to reach new audiences within their demographic. While it can be an added expense, paid marketing casts a wide net for user acquisition and creates recognition for your current or upcoming game. Working with a larger streamer and sponsoring them to play your game puts it in front of their audience, which opens the door for reaching potential new players who might tell their friends about it. A downside I find to paid media is that with platforms being so saturated with ads, there might be a chance that it may be look overlooked by players. Alternatively, there's things like ad blockers, which can prevent your campaign from reaching certain people. This isn't to say not to use pay promotion, but there are some risks that are associated with taking this route. Not to mention, it can be very expensive to have your campaign seen by a lot of people, especially if you don't have a full grasp on what to do. Owned media are the channels that your studio runs. This includes social media, developer blogs, your website, as well as, as live streams and other video content. This is where you get to have your own voice to share info and updates about your game, your studio, and your values. With this being a more organic approach, it might not have the same reach as a paid campaign. However, with an understanding of social algorithms and copywriting, there is a possibility of acquiring new players using these methods. Reddit is a great example of reaching new audiences without putting too much into ad spend, though ultimately owned media is best used to build and maintain the trust with your current player base. Finally, we have earned media, which comes in the form of press and media coverage, but also from the community we build. 
When we're authentic with our players, listen to their feedback, and create engaging content, we earn something truly amazing. Their validation. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> kind of. Um, we, we do, however, inspire them to create free content, whether it's on YouTube and Twitch, or they create fan art, or they spend hours building these beautiful cosplays of our characters. They share content on social media, and they recommend our games to a friend when they're looking for something new to play. Community managers are generally responsible for the earned and owned portions of the digital marketing trifecta. Sometimes we have our hand in the paid category, but this is generally reserved for marketing um, who are branching out to prospective players. Community managers work with the players who have already committed to the game. The commonality between all community managers is that, well, yes, we do manage communities. We also bridge the communication gap between a studio and the game's player base. We are the main point of contact for our players' voices to reach the developers, as well as the main point of contact for the developers to reach the fans. This is mainly accomplished in three ways. So the first way we accomplish this is by keeping a multi-channel ear to the ground. There are so many avenues player, a player can take to immerse themselves in a community of individuals that share a passion for the same game, some of which are created and moderated by the developer themselves, while others are created by fans. All of these channels vary when it comes to communication methods and ways they add value, but generally fall into categories such as uh, instant messaging, forums, social media, and content creation, like on Twitch and YouTube. A great example of feedback making an impact on a game is Fortnite and their decision to fully implement zero build mode as a permanent part of their game modes. Originally, zero build was marked as a limited time option, but the community feedback and reaction when this went live made it obvious that this particular mode should be a permanent fixture in the franchise. Before zero build was introduced, it got to a point where there was this huge skill gap between the longtime players who had perfected building and the new players who felt like there was no chance of keeping up. This led to a steady decline of players as frustration grew. By gathering and understanding what the players had to say about this then limited time mode and announcing the decision that it was here to stay, Epic was able to reconnect with their lapsed players and create a more forgiving new player experience for onboarding those who may have been interested in playing Fortnite, but struggled with learning all the systems and mechanics without getting spawn killed. Both sides of the player base, those who enjoy not building and those who prefer to take the building route, now have their choice to play either mode. The second way we bridge the communication gap is through asking questions and voicing what's important to players. So we have all this feedback, what do we do with it? Generally, it involves a lot of spreadsheets and presenting valuable or common feedback to the appropriate teams. So for example, um, if there's any aesthetic or gameplay bugs that come in, those go to QA or you know, suggestions for characters or environments or cosmetics, those go to art. For design, uh, we send them gameplay questions, accessibility suggestions and feedback and uh, lots of other stuff. <laughs> When we look at the success of God of War Ragnarok, Santa Monica Studio broke records upon its release and it became the fastest selling first party launch with 5.1 million units sold. Sure, beautiful graphics and compelling narrative were more than certainly a huge driver of that. Santa Monica Studio also did something just as valuable. They advocated for the whole of their community. By listening to and advocating for their players, God of War Ragnarok's reception was overwhelmingly positive and on day one offered a range of accessibility features to accommodate as many players as possible. This isn't the first time that the folks at Santa Monica Studio have introduced accessibility options into their game. 
The 2018 God of War release on PlayStation 4 came with some accessibility options, but then were heavily iterated on for the 2022 launch on PC. The PC version came with a much more extensive list of accessibility options that had been asked for after the initial console release. By listening to what players had to say, uh, Santa Monica Studio continued to iterate on ways they could make their games as accessible as possible. The release of Ragnarok really set the standard for how we should be advocating for our players' wants and needs and the amount of success that can come from that. And lastly, the third way we bridge that communication gap is through keeping an open dialogue with the community. Communicating intent and setting expectation leaves little room for misunderstandings, but needs to be crafted in a way that's authentic, clear, and concise. By knowing and understanding what the community cares about, you can highlight ways you're actioning on that feedback. One thing to note, and a very hard truth that I had to learn, is that we're never going to be able to make everyone happy. Sometimes what the community asks for is way outside the scope of what's possible with the resources you have. Sometimes what they're asking for just isn't physically possible or would be game-breaking. And sometimes what the community asks for is just so ridiculous that this is hands down my favorite reply tweet in the history of games and Twitter. <laughs> the point is we won't be able to meet every single need of every single player. Communicating intent and setting expectations creates transparency and builds trust with our community. As a real-life example, if you asked a friend to pick you up from the airport and they proceeded to just ignore you, that would feel pretty bad, right? You might even feel angry and unappreciated, but if they came back and said, you know, unfortunately I can't, I'm in school for eight hours, so it just, you know, wouldn't be physically possible for me to come pick you up. You might be bummed out, but ultimately you would feel acknowledged, heard, and cared about. Communication is so important, but it shouldn't only be used to deliver good news. Being authentic and upfront about what's outside the realm of possibilities and why carry a lot of value for our players, which should in turn carry a lot of value for us. To get a bit more granular on what we do and how having a community manager can bring value to your game, I'm going to break down the typical role responsibilities. As a preface to this, I mentioned before that community manager roles vary massively from studio to studio. So while these are our typical role responsibilities, that doesn't mean that every community manager in existence uh, has ownership over these particular tasks. It just means that they're the most common within the discipline. So we touched on feedback in the last section, but this is a pinnacle part of community management, which is why I put it first on the list. By keeping up to date with what players are saying in our official channels, community-run channels, and in the communities of our competitors, we can maintain a clear picture of player sentiment. With this information, community managers have the tools to effectively advocate for the players and propose the changes that mean the most to them. Every studio is different with how they run things. To give an example of how we did things for Video Horror Society, we owned and moderated the official Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Steam forums, and Discord with the help of our moderators, of course. Discord was the main driver for community feedback and gave us an open platform to get a first look at how players reacted to new content or balance changes. With this space, we were able to maintain one-on-one -on -one real time dialogue with our community and dig deeper into what their thoughts were by asking questions and continuing the conversation. Followed very closely was our Steam forums, which tend to bring a bit more of a passionate crowd. Um, Although the comments tend to be a bit more challenging to navigate, it, a lot of really useful and impactful feedback came from here and brought a lot of qualitative value. 
Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, while often used for memeing, still provided us with a range of helpful suggestions and feedback, whether it be positive or negative. Feedback for the game isn't the only insight into player pain points, needs, and wants. Community managers often look to other game communities within the same genre to see what players are saying. Maybe a system in another game, it, it, maybe a system in another game is addressing toxicity in a healthy way for their players, or maybe the implementation of a particular mechanic caused some outrage within their community. Knowing what works and what doesn't on other titles from a community perspective provides cl uh, clarity on ways that community managers can suggest healthy changes for the games that we work on. On the earn side of the scale, player-run communities such as the VHS subreddit and the communities of our content creators allowed us to cast a wider net on player sentiment. Both developer-run channels and player-generated content are so important. You know how there's two sides to every story? With the sheer amount of communication platforms today, especially when it comes to game development, there's about eight sides to every story. It's a community manager's job to get every single side and then cross-check those commonalities between all the different voices who play our game. Gaming is for everyone and everyone plays games differently. Understanding how different systems and mechanics affect the experience of our players helps us create a memorable and enjoyable game. So earlier when discussing feedback, I brought up how Fortnite listened closely to their community when they wanted zero build mode. Another key example of how listening to feedback can have a huge impact on a game's success is Final Fantasy XIV. The original launch was highly anticipated, but didn't quite meet up to player expectations when it was first released in 2010. In an interview with Eurogamer, Naoki Yoshida, the producer and director of Final Fantasy XIV, A Realm Reborn, talks about how the success of the relaunch not only came from getting feedback from the designers, but also from the players. Yoshida was obsessed with what the players were saying and would check forums daily, gathering feedback and suggestions from the community, and then creating lists and action items for his team. You can't enter any sort of community without having at least one person bring up Final Fantasy XIV. The sheer amount of things that you can do in the game, whether it's go to the Golden Saucer and play some games or even get married, it's easy to understand why players are so invested in the game. Square Enix listens closely to what the community wants and then presents it in a way that keeps the players coming back. Final Fantasy XIV's community started off as a very frustrated mess and eight years later, after its relaunch, has taken home the Golden Joystick Award for Best Community two years in a row. By recognizing the impact their community has when it comes to listening to their feedback, Square Enix managed to build and maintain a community that at one point was very close to writing them off completely. The multi-million dollar letdown, which was said to have caused damage to the Square Enix brand, relaunched to be become one of the largest and most celebrated MMOs of our time. Next is community engagement. So it's, it's one thing to gather the feedback, but it's another thing to feel heard. A large part of what community managers do is engage with the community on both owned and earned channels to build a better and more trusting relationship with the fans. This is accomplished in a few ways. Community managers engage with players via personal or brand accounts to acknowledge concerns and communicate intent as a way to maintain the trust between a developer and the community, and in turn, this prevents toxicity from festering. Feeling as though you're just screaming your frustrations into a void will only breed more frustration. Engaging with players tells them that their voice has an impact on the game. They feel seen and as though they're a part of the development process. 
I found that even replying with something so much as I'll pass this on to the team was enough to accomplish that. Engagement doesn't stop at issues and feedback, though. Mirroring player energy by interacting with their game-related creativity, whether it's cosplays, fan art, video content, and by memeing around, creates a comfy space where players, much like when we're engaging with their feedback, makes them feel seen. Community managers are often gamers themselves, so they aim to build the community that they want to be a part of. Plus, who wants to interact with a brand that only ever tries to sell you things? Some really great examples of brand accounts that engage with their fans and that I definitely recommend checking out are Alienware, Steak Um, weirdly enough, and of course, Among Us. While these may seem like simple replies, when players feel noticed or seen by a brand or a large account that they follow, that can have a huge impact on them. By using their own tone, these three Twitter accounts manage to connect with their fans and make memorable moments for their community. Another form of engagement that creates memorable moments for our players is the engagement between two accounts that we love. Among Us is notorious for having Twitter conversations with other brand accounts, and not just ones that are gaming related. The Xbox social media manager can often be found making jokes with other games on the platforms, usually those of which that can be found on Game Pass. And of course, there's often an opportunity for social banter when a collaboration takes place, such as with Ubisoft and Destiny 2. From a visibility perspective, these conversations are viewed by both communities, which has the potential for each side to reach the other community while simultaneously creating memorable moments for those of us who enjoy both brands. Not only do these conversations take place to create those beautiful and memorable moments, but we can also use our voice as a studio or a game to lead by example of how we want our communities to be engaging in a way that shows that fandoms and platforms can coexist. PlayStation and Xbox are a great example of this. I'm sure that as gamers, we're all aware of the console wars, but Sony and Microsoft engaging in a way that quells the idea of them being bitter rivals proves that if they can coexist, their communities can too. So once we have our hand on all that feedback and we engage with our players, we need to make sure that feedback gets brought to our team members. Community managers are one of the many key stakeholders when content is created or when systems change and should be a part of any large discussion to offer sentiment reports about what's important to the community. Community buy-in in a stakeholder setting is more than just saying things like players will love this or players will hate this. To advocate for our communities, we have to understand all player types, which means empathizing with frustrations and quality of life requests that impact their experience with our games or the games within other games within the same genre. Community managers touch base with the team to ask about accessibility options, diversity and representation, and pitch suggestions on ways that we can balance what means the most to our players with the resources and capabilities of the team. The most common mistake that I see in the industry is underestimating just how much players hold on to what we say. When we tell players that something will be exclusive, for example, we need to follow through on that. Sure, bringing back an exclusive asset or experience and monetizing it might make you a quick buck, but it will cost something that I find is worth way more, which is their trust. By taking this route, players might think twice before pulling out their wallet for anything else that you might offer in the future. And in some cases, they may quit playing your game completely. Going back to Square Enix and Naoki Yoshida, although they have undoubtedly made waves with Final Fan Fantasy XIV's relaunch, that doesn't mean they're free from criticism when they approach something in a less than tasteful way. 
So for instance, how they plan to handle diversity in Final Fantasy 16. Advocating for your community when it comes to topics such as diversity and representation is so important, especially when it comes to presenting a game to a global market. The question remains as to whether or not Square Enix will hear this feedback and advocate for their diverse player base who want to feel represented in the franchise. I'm hoping that they learn from the experience as they've done in the past and apply this knowledge to their standalone games. So we've collected player feedback, we've engaged with them, we've let them know we see them, and we've touched base with our team to figure out what's possible. The next part is communicating intent. Intention. <laughs> this part is very important, but it can also be tricky. Some things to keep in mind, never promise something like we just talked about, never promise something that you aren't sure if you'll be able to follow through on. This is why it's so important to check in with your team on what's possible before making promises to the community. It will be a lot harder to ask for forgiveness if you break their trust. Um, if there's any way to take things out of context, trust me, players will. <laughs> um, be clear and concise about what you communicate. And lastly, be authentic. Don't use slang that you don't understand just because it's cool, because this tends to come across forced and unnatural. Large and impactful changes and updates often require more space than the Twitter character count allows. So there's a couple avenues that we take in order to deliver key information, as well as acknowledge the feedback and answer questions. Long form communication gives us a full space to share relevant info to the players. Um, this can take form of developer blogs, in-game messaging, newsletters, etc. Um, community managers use these to communicate changes, address player concerns and bugs, as well as answer frequently asked questions. We also use the space to um, tease new or upcoming content. Video content, um, which you can often find on YouTube and Twitch, is a fantastic way to deliver updates, community incentives and events, share announcements, and review your game. What a lot of people don't realize is the amount of time it takes to put these together, especially when you take into account scripting, recording, production, and sharing of the video content. However, something really wonderful about video content is that it puts a face to the studio and really humanizes the devs who pour their heart and soul into development. The more devs are shown as human and not some faceless corporation, the easier it is for players to empathize with us as people. And lastly, we have the most commonly used form of communication, social media. Places like Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook are used to share trailers and acknowledge emergent issues, feedback, and of course, answering questions, sometimes more than once. A studio that I find does this really well is Bungie. The community team writes a weekly developer blog called This Week at Bungie, or TWAB, as they lovingly call it. I will be honest, I have played Destiny maybe a handful of times, but I still find myself reading through these every so often. Not only are they written with so much care and attention, but they really go the extra mile to address what players are talking about and how they're listening to feedback. In addition to this, they use a large portion of these TWABs to celebrate their community. They share their fan art, videos, cosplays, and other creative pieces to celebrate the fans that have long stuck with them. By doing this, they use their own platform to encourage earned media. As a player, would you not be thrilled to have your creative work shown to the world by those who inspired it? Bungie is a great example of knowing the importance of community and the resources that they put into this team show just how much the players mean to them. Their players feel like they're directly involved with the development of the game and honestly, when you think about it, they are. So 
considering this is an entire role that there is an entire role dedicated to social media, I feel as though this borders between a typical and non-typical responsibility for a community manager. However, given that smaller studios tend to forego hiring a social media manager, either due to budget or the size of the community, social media can often be found within the community manager's wheelhouse. There are over 5 million games in existence as of 2022, and social media is a tool that helps developers keep their games relevant, uh, as well as a way to carry on community engagement outside of the game, Discord, and forums. On a high level, content planning, engagement, and analytic tracking are all crucial steps to building and maintaining a successful social channel. Do promotional tra trailers and images align with the release dates? Does the tone of the copy match the game? Is it consistent? Um, how can we engage with our players and further understand what's important to them? These are all questions that we ask when building a content plan. Additional data can be under uncovered with analytics and building monthly reports to see how particular posts perform, uh, which provides community managers with the answers they need to build a more intentional content plan. This is where it all comes full circle. What worked this month? What did players engage with? What didn't work? How can we improve uh, for next month? The more we learn about how our players interact with what we share, the more we can cater our content to match their wants and needs. When it comes to content planning, as much as I'm sure we sometimes wish this were the case, social media is more than just slapping an image on Twitter and calling it a day. Getting into the complexities of social media uh, is far more than we have time for, um, and I don't want to go 20 minutes over. <laughs> But to give you an idea of what goes into curating social content on a piece-by-piece -piece basis, we have the content we want to share, right? Following this, we need to create compelling microcopy that captures the reader and relates to them in some way. This part can be tricky for a few reasons, and this is where understanding, the plat understanding different platforms is important. For instance, I think it's fairly well known, but Twitter has a set character limit that prevents you from going above 280 characters. However, on the Facebook side of things, using words like share, like, comment, or other engagement-bait words will throttle your reach. Adding alt text to your image creates a more accessible, uh, creates more accessible social content and allows even more fans to engage with your content. Admittedly, this is something that I'm personally still working on and learning, um, but I do know that it's important to craft alt text that will accurately describe the visuals. When writing alt text, run it through a screen reader and close your eyes. Can you picture your image through the words that are being read to you? And then finally, when all is said and done, nothing will drive reach further than engagement. Keeping the conversation going keeps the post relevant in your followers' feeds and encourages even more engagement. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Even just acknowledging the players goes a long way. One thing to note is that you don't want to engage with every single comment or reply. Ones that I generally avoid are comments from trolls, replies begging or threatening for an answer, or any particularly volatile remarks. The mute button on Twitter is an absolute blessing. Um, by acknowledging positive comments like valid criticisms, memes, general frustrations, or friendly conversations, we're outwardly showing what type of behavior we'll interact with. Indie Game Business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. 
All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all the speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. So we already covered engagement earlier in the talk, but how do we go about encouraging engagement on our social media posts? To give an example of how I planned the Yo World social content, it was important that I kept in mind the three types of players that played the game. First, we had the decorators. These were players who would spend hours using every available asset to customize their home in super unique ways. They loved to show off their creativity and would often share tutorials on their processes. These players love to see inspiration from other members within the community, so I would use our social media page to share themed rooms of some of our top decorators. Next, there were the collectors. If it was marked with the word exclusive, they had to have it. To tap into that crowd and spark excitement, I would be sure to share and highlight things that mentioned exclusive in the title. A great example of this would be our monthly exclusives, which would honestly sell out almost immediately the minute they went up. Lastly, we had the fashion fiends. Who doesn't love playing dress up in games? We often had players submitting their designs for hair, makeup, and clothing, which would be put to a vote and end up in game. Um, we called them designers and they were massive influencers within our community. To appeal to the fashion crowd, we would hold many interviews with the, these designers to give the community a look at who they are, how they use Yo World, and what their design processes are. Our Know the Yo Designer Edition was one of the most successful campaigns to reach that particular audience. In addition to that, we were able to involve our community in a way that made them feel seen and give our non-designers someone that they could connect with. By breaking down the analytics and furthering my research into these player types, I was able to come up with a way to expand on the momentum of the designer interview success that reached our fashion-driven players and repurpose it to reach and engage with the decorators. Just as there were micro-influencers on the design and fashion side of things, we also had home designers and their communities on the decorating side of things. By repurposing the Know the Yo Designer Edition and creating Know the Yo Decorator Edition, we were able to reach decorators and the communities of these micro-influencers. And lastly, playing our game. This feels so obvious, but the more we play our games, the more we can empathize with the players. Community managers need to learn their games inside and out. Knowing how different systems work and understanding all aspects of the project connects community managers to the game, giving them the tools to better advocate for the community. The first step to making fans is to become one yourself. There is no better way to empathize with a player than by playing your game. This way, if you read a piece of feedback and it sounds like it might not be that big of a deal, try playing through that section with a different perspective. Can you see where they're coming from? Or do you think you can iterate on that feedback and make it even better? Back, to when, I worked, back when I worked on Yo World, I didn't exactly fit the demo or target audience for the game. However, I spent hours decorating with new themes when they were released and trying on different clothes and building outfits. 
One of my favorite things to do in game was throw parties and events for the community. So many players would just show up just to talk and ask questions and vibe with us. The more I played the game and talked to the fans, the more I was able to understand what they loved and what they didn't really care for. I was able to make informed decisions on how to bring forward information to the team and make suggestions to improve the player experience. Video Horror Society was no different. I found a way to obsess over the game, which also happened to capture my love for playing dress up. When Disney Dreamlight Valley was released, I noticed that quite a large chunk of our community were, much like myself, obsessed with it. With this, I knew I'd be able to reach our players and connect with them on that particular aspect. Playing your game feels so obvious, but you would be surprised at how often I hear about developers not playing the games that they work on. When you don't know what it's like to be a player, the suggestions you make might not be in the consumer's best interest. And I have it here in my speaker notes in, in capital letters, play your games. <laughs> so remember how I said that community management can often be a mishmash of marketing responsibilities? Ask any community manager. Most of us have an arsenal of the most randomest skills that we've acquired, uh, which can sometimes lead us to picking up additional tasks to fill in the gaps. On the PR side of things, keeping in mind that news outlets and content creators are receiving mountains of requests daily from other game devs, getting their attention requires more, of a, more than a generalized greeting and just a copy pasta email. When reaching out to gauge interest in a title, your goal is to get a response, right? This involves researching what content creators are playing, what journalists are writing about. And on top of this, it takes time to craft an eye-catching and personalized email for each different content creator or news outlet that you plan to reach out to. On the marketing side, understanding how ads work and implementing them can also border on in the realm of community management when there isn't a dedicated marketing person or team. Not only do they need to know the budget involved, but they also need to have a full understanding of just how to use the allocated funds to get the maximum return on what was spent. This is more about bringing in new users than it is retaining them. Uh, graphic design. So game artists are generally swamped putting together content for upcoming releases, and not all studios have the budget for a media producer or graphic designer. Whether it be Photoshop or Canva, community managers will sometimes have access to game assets to build additional promotional material or help beef up their proposed content plan. When a dedicated player support team isn't an option, or sometimes when it is, but they're overwhelmed with tickets, uh, community managers will take on the customer service role by handling things such as toxic player reports, purchasing issues, one-on-one -on -one support for technical questions, answering game-related questions, answering legal questions, and replying to follow-ups about bans. Uh, depending on the studio and the amount of resources there are, the production side of live streaming can end up falling into the hands of the community manager. This involves setting up OBS, con uh, connecting the platform that they'll be streaming to, gathering or creating assets and overlays, setting up scenes to match the pre-written script, as well as scheduling and facilitating practice runs if there's other team members who will be joining. And then there's everything in between. So interacting with moderators. So community managers aren't just sorry, community moderators aren't the, just there to keep the peace. They have a front row seat to what the community is discussing at all times. Keeping an open dialogue with moderators through syncs, documentation, and real-time communication makes it easier for community managers to stay attuned to player sentiment. 
When feedback comes in about a change to the game or a large issue affecting a significant part of the community pops up unexpectedly, the moderators are the first to know, which helps both the community manager and the development team take quick action as needed. Partner programs. Uh, community managers can sometimes have ownership over building and maintaining creator programs to cover the role that would generally be handled by an influencer manager. Partner programs or creator programs are a fantastic way to have a direct line to the players through the communities of these passionate creators. Like I mentioned before, these programs, uh, sorry, these programs have the opportunity to boost visibility and hype for the game. It's important that these partner programs not only bring creators on that align with, with the game's voice and values, but also provide lucrative incentives that will benefit both the game and the content creators that promote it. It is a partnership after all. Community man managers spend a lot of time on Twitch, YouTube, and social media to discover and vet potential partners while also dedicating time to the current partners in order to gather feedback on communications and upcoming content. Licensors and publishers. So working with licensors is a great way to connect communities, but often requires pre-planning content way in advance to adhere to some of the very strict approval processes. When someone from a particular franchise makes an appearance in your game, or if the whole game revolves around a specific IP, everything needs to go to external stakeholders for sign-off. And when I say everything, I mean everything. Social content, uh, plan incentives, events, all of these are crafted and shared with licensors generally two or more weeks in advance to ensure deadlines can be made. Publishers have a similar way in when it comes to content approval. If they have their names on it, they want to ensure that it aligns with their brand. Community-related content and communications often go through multiple approval steps with publishers before making it to the players. Planning and facilitating, uh, planning, facilitating, and working with charities. So community managers aren't generally 100% responsible for putting together charity initiatives, but we can sometimes be the one driving these. Working with a charity is not as easy as just picking one from a hat and asking players to donate. When it comes to planning and facilitating charitable initiatives, we need to do extensive research into the organizations because we want to make sure they're ethical with how they handle their donations, uh, writing external copy, which explains the initiative and ways that players can donate, uh, writing the terms and conditions. So do players get an in-game reward? They, do they need to donate a specific amount to earn this reward? Uh, contact and align any content creators that want to participate in bringing visibility to this initiative and tracking donations and reporting progress to the community. <sighs> community fires. You never know when a troll account is going to bring their friends into a Discord or a forum and flood it with NSFW content. Yes, this has happened to me. And yes, it was about 10 p.m. on a Saturday. The community manager is usually the first to the scene when everything's going crazy, but this is where having moderators can really come in handy to protect your community. Even something like this or an argument between members, if it happens during work hours, it can still end up consuming quite a bit of time to manage. And lastly, Discord maintenance. So learning bots, updating permissions, changing, changing channels around, or adding a new channel uh, adding new channels are all pretty standard tasks when it comes to keeping up with a Discord server. Upkeep on a Discord server. Uh, this is also, surprise, surprise, generally driven by community or moderator feedback. You're probably thinking, wow, that's a lot. I didn't realize that community managers did so much. And you're right. When we say we wear many hats, it's usually because we're filling in the gaps for what we what should be considered as an essential part of game development. 
Just as much as it's important not to underestimate what we do, it's also important to understand that we are human and often a one-person team. If we're spread so thin because we're filling in those gaps, we aren't going to be able to care for our communities as effectively. In the words of Karis Reed, who spoke earlier today, community managers are not Swiss army knife people. If community managers are overtasked and under-resourced, there's a high risk of your community manager burning out. This can impact not only the community manager, but by extension, your community. Expecting one person to be the knowledge holder, especially for something as large and as intricate as community, you're at risk of having everything crumble when they aren't there. So say, for example, your community manager is down for the count and off sick, and you have these patch notes that need to be prepped to go out. Do you have the resources to ensure something like this is covered? Will you be able to prepare them in time? Your community trusts you to not only deliver content, uh, deliver relevant information on time, but also ensure that's authentic and accurate. If you're in a position where you feel as though you can't make the move to hire a community manager, I'm going to go over the three main components needed to build and nurture your community. So you remember the digital marketing trifecta, right? Uh, if we're going to break down managing a community in the same way, the three main components that would set up a community for success would be feedback, advocation, and communication. I know I've said the word feedback about 43 times since the beginning of this talk, which, yes, I absolutely went back and counted, but it's because it's that important. Anywhere your community has a voice gives you the opportunity to listen to their needs by engaging with them and offering to pass on their feedback. Um, by engaging with them and offering to pass on their feedback to those who can potentially make that thing happen makes players feel seen. Advocating for those needs, expressing those concerns, and even reporting bugs and pain points makes players feel cared, cared about. By speaking up for them, we have the opportunity to share your game, share our games with even more people. And lastly, communicating intent and touching on what means the most to them by being transparent about processes and ways we're addressing their concerns makes players feel heard. It is 1000% possible to manage and maintain a community without hiring a community manager, but even with what's involved in the community management trifecta, you'll want to dedicate at minimum 25% of your time to upkeep just these three main points. When you hire a community manager, not only will you get your time back, but you'll also have someone who can create additional engagement opportunities, uh, a studio representative for conferences and live streams, a point of contact for influencers and press relations, someone who can encourage and celebrate uh, memorable community moments, detailed sentiment reports, competitor resource, and so much more. <laughs> The value of building and maintaining a community definitely doesn't supersede that of those who contribute in different ways to the games we develop, but it does have a large impact on the success of these titles and are just as important as things like art and program and design. When you invest in a community manager, you're investing in your community. These are the players that, if consistently cared about and nurtured, will stick through you, stick, won't stick through you, stick with you through your updates and future titles to come. Thank you all for joining. That was my presentation on community um, and you can find me at all of these places here. Uh-oh, I can't hear you, Dan. There we go, I was muted. There we go. That was amazing. <laughs> and as a community manager, also I love watching other community managers because you can see the inside of their brain, but you're forgetting the most important thing that every community manager should have. And they used to be called job stoppers. 
Do you know job what job swappers? No. Hand tattoos? Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because when I started in games, that was that was the very first thing that I did was tattoo my hands. <laughs> yeah. Job stoppers. Because, you know, back in the day, it would stop you from getting a job. Yeah. <laughs> so, But now it's like it doesn't, you know. But that was amazing and super Thank informative you. as well. I loved it. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of questions and so little time. So I'm uh -oh. also like I'm I've been a Twitch partner for well it'll be nine years in January, and I've like worked in PR and community management, and now I'm also the community manager for a charity, which is the same but different. Being a community yeah. manager, it's the same but different. But in man, what ways was, do you find it? In what ways do you find it different? Uh, for one, the community in the game community, it's continually active. With the charity community, they're active during the event, and then they all just kind of peter off. And it's it's keeping the engagement up in the in between times, and yep. it's really finding a hook and sticking with it. It's 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 different. It's different. We can have a conversation about it. Yeah, um, I'm. Yeah, and if you're looking for, so I work for the St. Baldrick's Foundation, which is the the largest private funder of research grants for kids' cancer in the world. It's a, it's an amazing, and they just started their streaming program and stuff. Um, but that's something else. I don't need to talk about me. Let's let's go with these questions here. What's the future of community management? Do you imagine the role might expand or become more specialized in the future as it becomes a more well understood and utilized profession? That's a really great question. Um, so I. It, it, I don't know if I'd be able to tell you the future, but what I can say is that I I hope that it becomes more well known um, what we do, and we can kind of specialize that, and you know leave room for um, like other other uh, roles to kind of take over take over those um, extra roles that I was talking about. So for instance, you know, having um, somebody who is specialized for social media work on the social media side so that community managers can kind of, you know, own in their skills on, um, you know, having conversations with the community and digging into that feedback and and stuff like that. So Right. Because I know with my job, like I, I also get called to like other side projects and it may or may not be involved in community, but it's like a side project because like you said, as a community manager, there's a ton of different skills, right? There's artwork, there's designing stuff, there's uh, copyright, there's all kinds of things. Making yes. gifts. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, it, it is. I'm not going to say it's like the Swiss army knife, but, but that's a lot of things. Okay, yeah. so here's a question from Discord. If a dev only has bandwidth to cover one social platform, which one should it be? I think that depends on where your community is. Um, if you don't currently have a community yet, um, whatever one that you feel most comfortable with. Mm -hmm. uh, I personally like Twitter. Um, though lately Twitter has been, uh, it's, it's been a bit complicated. Um, but if don't spread yourself so thin to be absolutely everywhere all at once, uh, like the movie, um, make sure that you put your time and energy into one social platform. And it's good that it's good that you're able to recognize what bandwidth you have. Um, but yeah, I, I personally like using Twitter. Um, some people prefer using Instagram. Other people prefer using Discord. Uh, nobody uses Facebook. I mean, some people use Facebook, but not a lot of people use Facebook anymore. It, it, I mean, it's a different community, but it, it's yeah. there. Yeah, it, it just depends. It de you know what? You're an indie game business professional because when you said it depends, that's like the number yeah. one answer. Yeah. <laughs> 
depends on where your community is and what you're comfortable with. Right. So Christopher, Christopher, I'm not sure how to pronounce that name. A, a court? Do community, he's from YouTube. Uh, do you community managers reach out to any voiceover talents in the respective games to help with engagement? Um, so uh, uh, that that's a good question. I personally never worked with, with VO or artists myself. Um, I think it's something that would be really really cool so um like for instance i know that uh quantic dream works a lot with uh brian dechart um who was in um oh my gosh it's like my favorite game uh detroit become human um and i i think that really really helps um like if if you have um like a voiceover artist and they have their own community and you know the you do kind of collaborations with them i i think that definitely helps um in terms of engagement it's great for content yeah. Great for content. The more more content, the better, right? Um, Hexaclover. How would a community manager manager handle getting feed? Oh, this is a this is a heavy question. Handle getting feedback for a game that has gotten lots of backlash for something and is refusing to acknowledge or change the problem within their limits. So, for a game that is, um, so if I was uh, in that particular position, um getting feedback for a game that has gotten lots of backlash for something. So it, it sounds if, like the game is refusing to something. Ooh, yeah. That's a touchy question. <laughs> that is a touchy question um, because there can be scenarios where um, the community manager um, would bring this information to the team and they might not see the value that a community, community manager would have. Um, I'm sure we've all worked in studios where uh, there's been somebody who, um, you know, isn't really great at taking feedback. Um, so I guess what I would do is do my best to communicate the intention of the change or the intention of how they're handling something. Um, but I have been known to be very upfront with stuff like that uh, internally to the, the people who are making these decisions. Um, but yeah. But then it's like if you work for a company that makes a decision, you kind of have to be the meat you shield. Know, you you can't you can't. <laughs> I have seen community managers in the past rebel, and it, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't look good. It's, it's tough. Good. It's really mm, tough. It is tough. It's like because I want to help you. How much of a role? Here's from Dan Silvers, the amazing Dan Silvers. How much of a role do you think automation or AI should play in community management? What's the right balance between being hands-on and hands-off? And there was an amazing presentation earlier about that. That was yep. really good. I liked it. Because AI now, have you seen, like, I've tried some of the blog writing AI articles and brrr, I'm like, whoa. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You just put in little information or write a whole article. And I'm like, I don't know about this. You can, like, yeah. pick the tone, the whatever. I haven't used it for work or anything, but I wanted to see what it did. So I tried it, but I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hijack. No, 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 no. That's okay. Um, yeah. So I, I use automation um, for a couple things. So I, I really like using, um, you know, scheduling software. So like Buffer or Later or Hootsuite and uh, all of those for, because uh, they'll post stuff for you, um, which is great, especially if you're on like multiple social networks. Uh, I just go to Buffer and I'm like, hey, I want to post this with this copy on these three social networks and then I can set it and forget it. Um, I don't generally forget it because I like reading the comments right after it's posted. Mm -hmm. um, but it's 
I think that automation is definitely important in the community management role, just because we're often spread so thin that having kind of like that backup um, is is really helpful, especially to kind of like prevent the burnout and, and whatnot. But that doesn't go to say um, like to not give your team the resources that they need. Definitely give your community management the resources they need. If um, not even if you can, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Just regardless. Do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, we still got five minutes. A uh, question from Discord. There's a lot of things for a community manager to do. What tools and resources? Well, you we were just talking about this. What other tools and resources you got? I can't reach it right now, but I have I have a, a daily planner. I also use um, Google Calendar. I use Todoist. I have like 10 different organization methods. Uh, Google Sheets. I'm a huge fan of Google Sheets. I'm sure I, you knew that after my presentation. But yeah, a, a lot of that is just making sure that I track. Um, so like my daily planner, I track what I do during the day, um, any big tasks or like high priority tasks I put up at the top. And then I'm able to just kind of like check things off as I go. Um, my Google calendar is used to keep track of my meetings. I also use this time to like block off sections of things that I want to do. So lately, for instance, I have 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. blocked off on my calendar because that's the time that I spend learning about things that I can do or like, you know, watching videos on the GDC vault. And then maybe later in the afternoon, I have to write copy for something. So I'll block that off in my calendar as well. Um, or I would block off a specific amount of time for interacting with players. Um, for instance, Video Horror Society had 40,000 people. And whenever we would share something on Twitter, um, you know, it, it would get a lot of comments and I'd want to engage with those comments. Um, but if I let it, it would consume most of my day. So I, I block off time in my calendar to engage with those players and, and have those conversations. So yeah, the long and short of it is we, we have lots of, lots of different ways that uh, mm -hmm. we, we schedule our time. At St. Baldrick's, <laughs> we use teams and they have like a thing that's like block off this time for yeah. your personal time. Right. And you can block off cause, and then we have like things we can learn and I need to just block off more time for learning. stuff. <laughs> Well, it also helps when people aren't like, um, like if, if somebody's trying to like book a meeting with you or you have a bunch of meetings kind mm -hmm. of on the go, you have that time blocked off in your calendar. So people will see that and respect that time and maybe choose a different time to to book that in with you. Yeah, because in Teams, there's like a scheduler and yeah. it shows like if somebody's read, then you just, you know. Um, is there a skill talent for an ideal community manager that's often underrated or overlooked? That's from Kenny Chia on YouTube. Um, copywriting, um, like I said before, like uh, writing micro copy for social media has a lot of intricacies based on whatever platform you're sharing to. Uh, so another example that I didn't bring up is on Instagram, you can't share links in your, uh, descriptions, um, which or TikTok, you can't put links in this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so just being able to keep up with all the different intricacies of each social media platform, but also be able to keep up with, you know, the fact that it's always changing, like how to get your posts seen and, and whatnot. Um, so keeping on uh, on track of that, as well as like copy and um, delivering that communication and, and um, like with intention, like those are, are things that I definitely think are overlooked. Um, because like I said, like I've, I've had people be like, oh, you're, you're just on social media all day. That's what you do for your job. And I'm like, mm, I mean, yes, kind of, but like, there's a lot of thought that goes into that. <laughs> there is a lot of thought yeah. that goes into it, right? 
responding is super important because you have to know who you're responding to, what it's about, why they messaged you that thing, where they're from. You got to, you have to look at stuff with a big lens. Yeah. All right. I think there's, a, there's a quite a few more questions. So after, I want to do one more, but after this, if you wanted to come into the discord and then hang out in the, da, 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 it is called the podcast questions channel. That would be awesome. And then people can ask that. So if you are, we'll have more questions. We got one more and then we have to go to the next. Um, Perfect. I love this question. How can studio is from Maggie McLean. How can studio leaders, producers and other decision makers help set community managers up for success? How do we best support the work you do? Invite us to every meeting. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like no, we, please. No. Well, not, oh every meeting, but not for I, me. I mean, if it could have been an email, uh, you can send it in an email. But essentially, mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say is just make sure we know what's going on. Because if we don't know what's going on and something big changes, we need to be able to pivot to um, like be able to to support that. Um, because everything that we do is very public facing. We mm -hmm. need to to know why we're doing it and what we're doing it. So just just keep us keep us informed. <laughs> My answer was going to be more money and more time, but I mean that answer, is that answer is totally acceptable. Well thank Pay you so more. much, Pam. This was amazing. This was incredible. Awesome. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate yeah. it. It's a job stopper heart, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much. And next we got, speaking of voiceover artists, that's what we have coming up next. And once again, thank you for, uh, to Twipwire, blah, blah, blah. thank you to Tripwire Presents, as I'm tripping over my own tongue, uh, for being such an amazing sponsor. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.